Show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie Free Agency extravaganza and if you want to call it an extravaganza you have to make it extravaganzic if that's a word i don't think it is but i'm going to use it anyway uh and in doing that we're going to have not just myself here and ken joining us right away uh but we are also going to have sammy the scarf cosentino you called for it we came through with it he's going to join us here right away and maybe just maybe we're not promising anything because the guy's busy as heck and he's out there breaking trades as we speak but if he can elliot friedman is going to join us as well lots to talk about here we're going to dig into the jet situation here it hasn't exactly been extravaganzic so far for kevin shovel dayoff and the winnipeg jets as they have tried to uh uh, make some deals happen. We've heard a lot of deals that they've been apparently on their way in on hasn't happened. We'll explore all that. I think we should also probably explore some of the deals that have been made, but maybe just take a look at uh, you know some of the other teams, how the Jets stack up and what we think maybe they w- it would take to beat some of those teams. Definitely some teams have got better. The Edmonton Oilers look like they are all in, not to the degree we've seen some other teams, but Nick Bugstad, they just picked up, if you haven't heard that. That adds to some depth uh, on a lineup that is starting to add some depth and added a huge defensive presence in Matthias Ekholm. Uh, you're going to get a good look at that tomorrow, Jets fans, and the day after that. I don't want to talk too much here. Uh, I do want to hear Ken's music. Uh, it's my favorite music, so let's bring him in. And shortly after that, we're going to bring in our main man, Sammy Cosentino. But first, here comes Ken. Ken, we love taking people behind the scenes. And behind the scenes, you and I have grown a very strong relationship. We're like brothers now. We've been on this venture together for a really long time. I'm true to you. It's funny. Ken and I, today, with all the other uh, writers and uh, journalists at the Jets practice, you'll know, since you've been watching our debate on who's the MVP, and at one point, I switched and I started arguing Ken's case about Connor Hellebuck being the MVP. And Ken switched his case and started arguing about Josh Morrissey being the MVP. We are so true to each other that when one picks up the slack and looks like he's heading in the other direction, the other one hops on the other side. Either that or we are just so contrarian with each other that we can't agree on anything. Ken, there is no one in this relationship I would cheat on you with. But I'm going to tell you. A close, close second that has me thinking every once in a while is our main man, Sammy Cosentino, who we're going to bring into the show right now. People are going to be ecstatic to see Sammy back. Yes, you are the requested scarf. at all times, Sammy. You got the scarf. I absolutely love it. Thank you for making the time. 
uh, to join us on the show. You kicked some butt last night. Looked good, as always, on Wednesday night hockey. Uh, how you been, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm so excited to see you guys. I'm telling you, but I, what I'm not excited about is the lack of action we're seeing in Winnipeg. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, get used to it. This is kind of what we've seen over the years. We should probably explore why. Uh, but well, tell me first off, Sammy, why you are upset not to see action. I know there's a lot of people here who expected the Jets to be all in. I know when we talk to a lot of the people at Sportsnet, they, they, they think that it's what the Jets should be doing. Why specifically are you upset with the lack of action? I'm not saying all in. Like, I love the Nita Rider for a second. I think that's really good value. If it's a rental situation, that's great. But the thing for me is when I look at the West, okay, so you might hand it to Colorado now because they're starting to get healthy. They don't have Landis Gog. They're, they're rolling along pretty good. But other than that, there might be a path here. And I think with the way they're currently configured and with what they've gone through here in the last six games for the Jets, like, you you need a little you need a little bump. You need a message for the room. Need a rider. Yep. Great. Boom. He's a tough guy to play against. But that one other element, and I don't know what it is. And it honestly, like, it doesn't have to be the biggest piece, but just something to let everyone know that we're in it. And and I get it. Like Winnipeg's looking for value. Winnipeg is afraid to move off of guys that that have committed to the program. Um, but I think it's for this year in particular, I just think it's a little bit too conservative for my likings, and I want to see, I want to see a bit more action. So, the 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 focus that I had that I thought would have been the perfect fit was Jacob Chikrin. Add someone to the left side, add some scoring ability, add someone with term at a decent price. Like all of those things, I think that checks every Winnipeg box possible. And of course, you'd have to give up something good to get that, and I and I completely understand that. But for two years of that guy, and in the event that his history continues the way it has where he gets hurt, now all of a sudden you have the best player in the league, cap space, once you put him on LTIR. So I look at it and I'm saying to myself, that would have been the ideal move. It obviously didn't happen. The price went way down. And I don't know if uh, Chevy got in there when the price started to go down after everyone else started to move. Gavrikov was a guy that I would have liked as well, but he, I think you I think Winnipeg has a lot of that already. So Chikrin to me would have been the guy. I don't know if that left shot defenseman who, who gives you some scoring prowess still exists though. Ken, Russ, response to that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it's certainly I'm, I'm on with Sammy here for sure. Uh, I think that there was, there was room now, again, we, we don't know this for certain and we're, you know, we're certainly not expecting Kevin Cheveldayev to tell us, but some of the reports today were that the Jets might have been out on, on the sweepstakes for Chikrin Wednesday morning, and that would suggest where before the price dropped. Uh, so, yeah. um, you know, does that mean the Coyotes might have dropped the price further for the Jets? No, I mean, that's n normally the guy asks you to make his best offer, and then if the best offer isn't there, he goes somewhere else, right? So there's not necessarily a price-matching guarantee type of scenario available. So uh, I, I think it's it's early to, I mean, 
if the Jets don't do anything before tomorrow, I think that we're going to you know, look at a lot of potential missed opportunities for the Jets, uh, whether it would be, you know, Gavrikov's a guy they were interested in previously. I think he would have brought a little bit of stiffness depending on the price tag. Yes, I understand what the price tag was, especially for a guy who wasn't interested in an extension in the Canadian market, according to the reports. But there's got to be a player available uh, I think multiple players are required for the Jets to improve. I think they still need a defenseman that would bolster the top six. And I still think that, I mean, further to Sam's point, Nino Niederreiter is a great addition. But with Cole Perfetti out, you're just treading water if you're the Winnipeg yeah. Jets. And there's no guarantee, you know, we expect Cole Perfetti to be on that eight, eight-ish week timeline. But you just took away eight weeks of development time for someone who missed a good chunk of last season. So to expect Cole Perfetti to just jump in like nothing happened and be a top six player and an impactful one in a series against Colorado or a team like Minnesota or Dallas or whoever the Jets face is simply not, it's not an expectation you should have. It's one you would hope for, but that's why I think it's another important uh, ad coming. And, you know, I think too, Sam, and I, I, I think a big, big part of the next 24, uh, essentially 23 hours, I think is the message that Kevin Dayoff sends to the people that are in that room, people that were sniffing around first place for a good chunk of this season and see teams around them making moves. Sam, you know this with the Jays. Remember the year that they did nothing and a couple players spoke up about it. I'm not thinking the Jets are going to speak up about it, but I would think that if the Jets don't make another move, whether we hear it publicly or not, there's going to be disappointment. And sometimes that type of disappointment, sometimes the season goes down the drain when that type of disappointment is there, when they don't see enough action from the general manager's office. Okay, so I I take your point here, Ken. Uh, The disappointment can go both ways right now, though. And judging what the Jets have done leading up to this trade deadline, there's definitely got to be a sense of disappointment coming from the general manager's office because his players have not made this situation easy on him. Now, uh, Sammy... I take a look, uh, I look to you because I want your perspective, not just from the Winnipeg Jets or this market, but from around the league and the things, the times you can remember in the past when a team has kind of fallen off the radar. Now, the Calgary Flames uh, are five points back of the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think they're going to catch the Jets. I think the Jets are going to stay in the playoffs. I've made that clear. I'm, I'm really not worried about it at all. So there is a little bit of a difference here. But if you're the Calgary Flames and all the things that you did, you would think that maybe this was a team that would have tried to make some kind of push. Instead, we heard a lot of conversation about this team suddenly potentially becoming sellers. That's what happens if you're the Calgary Flames and you don't perform. Now, all of a sudden, there's a consideration maybe this team should be sellers. I want your take on what the Winnipeg Jets have done leading up to this trade deadline and how you think it may have affected Kevin Sheveldayoff's ability to have faith in or go after the assets he thinks this team needs to win if the Jets are showing him that it's pretty hard for them to win all of a sudden. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's tight, though. That's the one thing about the West. It's It's tight. So, you know, even in the central there, Colorado has made that big push and is just just now starting to look like it's going to gain separation. But that ha- that hasn't happened yet. I and, mean, you know, we're still now like in a situation where you got 17 games left, 18 games left. So 
you know, even if they're going to go perfect the rest of the way, which is an unlikely scenario, that's when you'd run away with it. So even in the current scenario, no one's going to run away with the division. Um, and so, so when I look at the Jets, especially the way they played the first half there, I mean, Hellebuck was back, Shifley's back scoring goals, Wheeler was doing his thing. Everyone, every one of those guys has slowed down here a little bit. So there's nothing to say that they can't all rebound from that and get back moving again. Um, you know, and, and again, I really love Niederreiter because he plays that he plays a jet style. He's big, he's heavier than people give him credit for because he's Swiss. You might not think he plays with heaviness, but he does. He shoots it really well. He can produce. Um, there's a lot of good things that are, that are going on there, but Weber, your point is well taken. Like, You've taken Perfetti and his playmaking and production out, and you've added a guy who can score a little bit more, who's bigger and heavier. But at the end of the day, in terms of pure production, it's probably close to, to tie goes to the runner there. So when I'm looking at the Jets, you know, I'm thinking this is a perfect time for everyone to kind of go through their downslope. Now it's time to get back to where you're playing in the first half. And if the Jets go and do that, then the playoffs, even with the current iteration, uh, making the playoffs and and having aspirations to to make a top three in the division, they're still very much alive. Um, but you know, panic starts to set in when you go on a bit of a losing skid, and you you know, looks like when you, it it's happened to just about every team, other than Boston, this year, that you're sitting there you're saying, oh my gosh, we're never going to win a game again. The Maple Leafs have gone through it. Tampa has gone through it. Uh, every team, Edmonton has gone through it. Calgary's gone through it a couple of times. So. There's still a lot of a lot of runway left here to get back to where they were playing previous to this slide, and I think it's going to happen for Winnipeg because I've got faith in the coaching staff, and there's enough guys that have been around long enough to not panic and to settle in and, and to get it right. And so, you know, asking about where they are and, and what they might do, and and considering what might be the needs, it's tough because. You know, I, how many holes did you – maybe, Kenny, you guys – and you, you're seeing it on the everyday that even when they're going good, you probably could have plugged in a few holes. But would you have said that there's one glaring thing? And I'm going to go back to what I started the show with. I believe that that left shot kind of point-producing defenseman is a guy that I would like to see. Moves pucks efficiently, gets it into the forward's hands, and give you a nice second power play option type of thing. That would be the that would be the need, but that those guys are hard to find. They're expensive. They're going to cost you a lot in prospect capital, and and I don't know uh, if Winnipeg wants to move off of that right now. Big thing for me, Sean. Just the counter to your point, Sean. When when do we think the Jets will be in position to compete for first place in the Central yeah. again? Given the uncertainty on the horizon, if they are going to have to make decisions in the off season. That's where I feel the obligation is for them to make yeah. an improvement to the roster. I just don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that they can't be if they adjust on the fly with moves. But to me, we know how hard it's been for them to get anything accomplished since 2018. That's five seasons ago already. Like, is it going to be another, what, three, five, ten years before the Jets can compete for first? That's why I think they owe it to their team to improve. Partisan Paul, I'm not ignoring the last six weeks. I'm well aware the Jets are 29-1 and one out of the gate, then 15-15-1. and one. I'm familiar with 500 hockey. I know what the Jets have been playing. I've been watching every single game. So, no, I'm not ignoring it. But what I am saying... I'm not convinced the Jets are certainly the 15-15-1 team, just like I wasn't convinced they were the 29-1 team. So they're somewhere in the middle. 
And that's why I think they need to add to their roster because A, I think the roster is better than it's performed in the last 31 games. And B, I think they're looking around saying that they need some help to compete. They see people improving around them. If you're not trying to improve, then the chances are they're going to get that left behind. And Sean, you've said it yourself. If the Jets have to play Colorado in an early round, that might be to their benefit. But unless Hellebuck absolutely stands on his head, this roster is not beating the Colorado Avalanche in a seven-game series. So, Sammy. Sean, let me just make one more point. Yeah. You know, I I deal a lot in the East because I live here in the East. So I'm looking at the two Eastern divisions. There's no room there. Those are locked up. Second and third is to be determined, and I guess even the case with New Jersey hunting down Carolina. But you know the three teams in the Atlantic. You know the three teams in the Metro. So now if you're a team that's sitting outside in a wild card spot in the East, you're playing for one of two spots. The Jets are in an entirely different situation. They're playing for one of those two spots. Sure, they're sitting in one of them right now. But the division is not out of the question of getting into that spot. So there are more options available in a wide open Western conference, you just want to see him like that one extra move that, that like extends them a little bit more than they've ever extended to say, yeah, you know what? Getting a wild card spot isn't good enough. We want to be in a top three spot. If we got to slug it out against whoever it is there in the central, who's in second, it's Minnesota. If Nashville creeps up there, whoever it's going to be Colorado, then, then we have a little bit more firepower to do that. But I think that's an important part to this conversation is, you're not just playing for one of two spots. You, you have the ability here to be able to play and, and still be a, a factor in the division. So just for a little bit of background here, Sammy, I've been on this, uh, we've been doing this show, talking about this for a long time. I had started out here and said, like, this was the year. This was the year that Kevin Sheveldayoff was going to go all in. Everything was lining up. Uh the salary cap situation that they had, all the space that they had to pick up players, everything was lining up perfectly, including them showing their team or their, their general manager that they were legit, that they were a legit top team in this league this year. Here's the problem. Kevin Sheveldayoff took a bet this year by not tearing down this team in the summertime. He took a bet. He took a bet that his core was the core that he thought it was and that a new coach was going to get that out and was going to show that. Right. So there was a little bit of it. I mean, th- this is a, a two sided thing. This is a GM having faith in his team and needing his team to show him that that faith was properly placed. The background to this, Sammy, is that since 2018, the Winnipeg Jets, every single season that has been completed, have started out as being one of the best teams in the NHL and have finished falling flat on their face before either going into the playoffs or missing the playoffs, including last season when they had their best start in franchise franchise history and then proceeded to not make the playoffs. Here's my problem, and here's what I think has happened here. I think Kevin Sheveldayoff a couple months ago had every intention of being all in, had every intention of moving their future and and absolutely bolstering this core and going for it not just this year and next year. He was going to go all in on this core. Here's the problem. This core has shown him over the last six weeks that – 2022, 21, 2019. This wasn't a fluke. He, he there is there is every reason for Kevin Shevel day off to question that this is exactly who the Winnipeg Jets are and exactly who they have always been. Not a team that's taken a dip at an inopportune time of a season, but a team that falls and doesn't know how to get up. 
I, I think that this is, he has every reason to be cautious because the other thing we're not talking about here, if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and you are picking up players to try and make a run, you can confidently do that because this that team is locked up for years and years to come. The Winnipeg Jets have the potential to have it all stripped away, to have the very engine in the race car they've been driving for years pulled out, ripped out, and gone in a year and a half. If you sacrifice your future and it doesn't pay off, they don't turn things around. They end up being a first-round loss or worse, find some way to not make it into the playoffs. And if you've gambled your future, that's the kind of move that stays with a GM, not just here, but whatever move he makes next. And this this is my problem with the whole thing. I get it. I get people say it's been long enough. They want this to happen. But Kevin Sheveldayoff has been put in a situation where I think he was all in and could not go all in because his players made that choice almost impossible for him. I'm guessing the owner probably thinks the same thing. And that's why we're where we are now. I still think Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to try and put his best foot forward for this team. But it didn't come in the fashion of taking big swings, which all these other teams did. It's going to be typical Kevin Sheveldayoff style where he tries to find hidden value somewhere, uses that money that's open to go get a salary dump somewhere. But I don't think that's on Kevin Sheveldayoff. His players gave him every reason not to have faith, give him every reason to think that tearing down and going all in was a dangerous decision. And I don't think that can be ignored. The timing of this, if there was any team in the NHL playoffs right now that needed to show its GM that they were ready for the big stage, it was the Winnipeg Jets. And they failed to do that. And I think they put Kevin Sheldon off on a bad spot. So I think they own more of what's happening right now and the strategy that he's taken. The, ge- the players own more of that than the general manager does. Ken, take a swing because I know you don't agree with me. It's okay. We've been talking about this for a long time now. So uh, I, I'm okay with the premise, Sean. But then w- what is the solution? I mean, that's not it's doing not do just saying, oh, no, sorry, it's players. It's your fault. What does that do for the Jets? Nothing. He has an opportunity to help them improve. And I, like I said, I wrote it. I feel it's an obligation. If Just to the players, I mean, the fan base, whatever you want to call it. I mean, this is a team that, yes, he's doubled down on them before. But doubling down on them without giving them more help, that to me is not doing the job as the general manager. I mean, this is a team that's still within striking distance. Have they have they have they faded down the stretch? Of course they have, but their season will be defined by what happens in the next twenty games, not what's happened in the last thirty-one yeah. games. Yeah. So, in order to give them the best chance, what do we hear all the time from coaches? Give the players the best chance to succeed. So, again, I'm not saying trade three first-round draft picks and trade Rutger McGroarty and trade everybody else. They have assets that would have appeal in other organizations. For players that either are not part of their future or they would like to move on from because of salary or whatever else. The Jets have five and a half million roughly to spend, provided they're willing and have the green light to go to the ceiling. So to me, they need to use that money to improve their team without sacrificing the future. I think they do need to dispute to secure, you know, move a couple of future assets. No doubt about it. Doesn't have to be a first. Sam, you know this better than anybody. You know, unless you're getting an impact player with term, don't move the 2023 first. But 
whether it's a 2024 first or maybe a first rounder like Vili Hanela or somebody else that they probably have a better idea of where he stands full time. Those assets need to be in play um, for me. And, you know, again, the other part of this too, Colton Pareko is a guy we've talked about, right? So, I mean, is he available? We're not sure. Teams are calling about him. He's another guy, Sam. You talked about some of the qualities Chickern brings. Not as offensive, obviously, but now you got a guy who's six foot five, six foot six, big, strong, sturdy guy. He's from the prairies. He's been to the promised land. Big shot from the point. He immediately allows you to slot your defenseman in at a level that would allow them to do a better job of competing against the high end guys. So I just think that it would be to use a, a phrase that you like to say, Sean, derelict of duty if the Jets don't find a way to improve this roster in the next... Like, there's going to be enough major surgery that's required coming up in the next summer or two yeah, that get right. the process started now. And I understand there's concerns with bringing in players with term. That's fine. I mean, contracts get moved at the end of deals. Jacob Voracek's contract just got moved today. So for the people who don't think that Colton Pareko can be traded at 35, like there are glaring examples staring us at the face every single day. So, I mean, I think Kevin Chevaldeff is making calls to be creative and make these moves. But they're not very public, and it, but until he does something, people are going to be wondering what's going to happen in the next day or so. Here's the thing, though, guys. You look at Detroit, okay? So Detroit over the weekend went into a critical two-game series with Ottawa, okay? They had the Gurr on their side. The Gurr of the games remained, yep. and so did Ottawa. And Ottawa pounded them. Two games in a row, pounded them. So the end result of that is Detroit moves off Bertuzzi, they move off Aronic. They say, you know what? You're right. We're not quite ready yet. We're going to continue to build our assets and, and move forward. And we are, are actually meeting the expectations that we had set for ourselves at the start of the year. So the way I look at Detroit and the dumps of those two players, I think they're out of the picture now. On the, on the other side of that coin is Detroit is still in that young rebuilding mode. Winnipeg is not there. So if you're saying to Winnipeg, okay, the, the last six games – it hasn't it hasn't worked out. We're just gonna sell, sell, sell. Well, that that doesn't work either because you're still in that window that you talk about for a year and a half. This is kind of the window for me. It's gonna have to blow up, like you say, Kenny, in the next year and a half anyway. So why not go for it right now and spend some of the assets you have? Because two years down the road, it's coming anyways. And this is gonna be the best opportunity presented to you over that time frame to get there. So they're a little bit different in Detroit in that they're not young and can just keep building, and that's the expectation of the marketplace. That's not where Winnipeg is. The flip side of that is Ottawa. We've been hearing, oh, Ottawa drafted really good young players, la, 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 la. Well, they went and got Brandstrom, who was a first-rounder from Vegas. That hasn't worked out. They drafted Jacob Bernard Docker, like 26th overall. He hasn't worked out. Lassie Thompson went maybe 19th or 20th overall. He hasn't worked out. Those were the 3D that were expected to play in their top six or seven at this point when their younger guys forward started to get better. That hasn't worked out. So by the same token as Detroit goes that way, Pierre Dorian says, yeah, maybe I'll revisit this uh, Arizona thing. All the defense in the move. Maybe there's an opportunity to go get Chick when his grandparents live in Ottawa. You know, he's been sitting out. He should be good, fresh and healthy now. And I'm going to give my guys a boost because we just pounded Detroit for two games. And who's to say we can't get on a bit of a run with the Gurr on our side to go and, 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 make, and make a run? 
And in my opinion, Ottawa is not in the same place as as a uh, like like Winnipeg and Ottawa are not in the same place. I feel Winnipeg is an advanced team to Ottawa, but Ottawa took a pretty big swing when they went to get to Chikrin. They're not even in the playoffs right now, and Winnipeg is. So that that's the way I'm looking at it. Not as a Detroit, too young, two games, we're done. Ottawa, oh my gosh, we're starting to sniff it. We got the Gur. Let's go get this guy. Let's let's show our room. A little something, and I and I believe Chevy showed his room a lot when he went went to get for sure. Ride. But there's more left here. There is more left, and you know I'm sitting there saying, well, who could it be? You know, at the end of the day, Pareko, whoever it is, there's always a place to pick up guys for a seller if you give the right price. And sometimes in this market, whether it's to get through a no trade or whatever it is, you have to overpay. That's the reality of the business Winnipeg is in. So you have to live in that reality. I think they need to take more of an Ottawa approach than a Detroit approach. I love that you used Ottawa, Sammy and Sean. Just a quick one there. I mean, remember when Pierre Dorian walked in during the training camp game or the preseason game? Like he, you know, you said to him, "Hey, what an off season, right?" So what happened in Ottawa? They didn't live up to expectations, but rather than just fold the tent, what did he do when things are getting tough? He went in and helped his team. Right, he didn't just rely on what happened in the summer. That's why I think Kevin Shevelnayev needs to be a bit more proactive here. And Sam, you're right; they're not in the same situation. But the fact that someone in a lower, like they're eight points behind the Jets, yeah. they still went out and made a move that helps them immediately, and it also helps them in a little bit more of a longer term. Not a five year window, but it helps try to advance their window. I mean, they're trying to win now, even though they're not even in a playoff spot, and they might not get into the playoffs, but. That to me is like, that's a great example of why it's important to add and not just say, hey, this is on you players. You didn't live up to your end of the bargain, so I can't help you any longer. I got to worry about five years from now. I There's understand. Time. There's time and Chevy, like he, he tends to act pretty, pretty quietly and pretty slyly and pretty sneakily. I mean, I don't know. Did anyone see Nita Ryder coming? No, guys, not really. No. You guys are there. Kenny what I would say, Sam, sorry, I would say this. Niederreiter is a guy that's been on their radar. I think they've tried to sign him as a free agent before, yeah. but they didn't win the bid. With I mean, Nashville, that's a tax-free straight. Four million goes a lot further there than it would here. Yeah. But that's a, there's a great example. That's a smart move because a guy that they were interested in, they went out and they got him and they got him for another year. So like that's smart. That's like you said about the no trade. Well, that guy chose somewhere else over here, but you found a way to find them here and you got some terms. So. I, I, honestly, I, I love that move and I got to give props where props are due. For me, it's just not, it's not quite enough. And, and, and again, it might not, you know, you might not go get the le- best left shot producing defensive, but you need to send a message to the fans and another message to the room. Like, and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the market that I'm in. So, okay. I look at Toronto. Okay. They see Boston. They go get Orlov and Hathaway. All right. There's a response. There's a Lafferty. There's an Acheri. Oh, there's an O'Reilly. That's pretty good. We're not done. We're going to go and get a McCabe too. So there's there's been responses in the in the marketplace to that. And I think now it's Winnipeg's turn to fire to fire that shot. And again, this could all be happening. Yep. Um, it could all very well be happening. And and you know Chevy works. He works in a pretty tight vacuum there. Not a lot of stuff leaks out of Winnipeg. I hope for all of our sake, and especially me when I have to go to work and talk about it for eight hours tomorrow, that they pull off something 
that's somewhat significant. So we have something to talk about because it seems like all the all the, <laughs> the main players are done. Yeah, you're going to be sitting on the panels that will have to fill that time. So yeah. you better get your juggling skills out, Sammy. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to just retort quickly because I, I want to move on from that topic. But I will say, I think there's a difference between the Senators and the Jets in that the Senators' best days look like they are ahead of them and potentially well ahead of them, where this is starting to get a bit of an end-of-the-line feeling, especially for this core in Winnipeg. And I think that puts them in two really different situations. I will say this. Ken, we are on opposite sides of this argument, but we always meet in the middle in the idea that we think what Kevin Dayoff has to do here is uh, like, I'm not saying he doesn't have to act. I do think he has to act, but the acts, he's limited in, in how he can act. And that act is, I love the idea of the Pareko mood, I, I, or move. I'm not saying don't do that. I love the idea because you're getting a guy with term. So if they are going to sacrifice their future, I think they need to do it by ensuring that that future continues. So if they're going out and they're getting value pickups from other teams who are trying to dump salary with guys with term, I think that's entirely what Kevin Sheveldayoff should be doing. But I think what you're seeing on some of these big swings, and you can tell from what people are saying, I think from what some of the pundits are saying, and definitely from what our chat room is saying, people wanted big moves to happen here. And often those big moves happen because they happen in a manner where the team goes out, swings big, sends future assets out the door, but they're doing it on the, uh, on the chance that they're just auditioning those players right before the playoffs. And then they're gone at the end of the season, regardless of what happens. I do think, and I stand firmly by the point that that, that was not an option anymore for Kevin Shevel day off after the performance that we've seen from his team over the last six weeks, it may have been, if this core was locked, like if this was 2019 or 20, I, th- I think Kevin Sheveldayoff would still be all in because he would have had a, a core that was locked up for another four years. That's not the case anymore. And his team removed from him the option to swing big on a guy like Timo Meyer, bring him in and be okay if they lost him, if they didn't extend him. They needed to be able to lock him down to make that move once that, uh, didn't look like it was an option. They couldn't take the same risk that the New Jersey Devils did because the New Jersey Devils are also a team that's best days look like they're lying not just ahead of them, but a number of years into the future. So you and I think that the strategy going forward should be the exactly the same, Ken. Go out and try and, if you're using future assets, make sure that they're assets that will be here into the future. But I, I stand firmly behind the idea that the Winnipeg Jets players took a massive tool out of Kevin Sheveldayoff's arsenal and and there has to be responsibility on their part for that having happened other people who are saying you know what maybe Kevin Sheveldayoff should have uh, acted earlier maybe that's right can I know that you were saying that he should have acted earlier uh, everything that fell apart uh, down the stretch here if you want to say that's on Kevin Sheveldayoff that he should have acted sooner that's a fair comment but where we are today, the strategy that we're, we expect to see Kevin Sheveldayoff take over the next 24 hours or however much it's going to be, the players have to own their part of how he's been able to address What this. about this, guys? Let me ask both of you this. What kind of value, and would you even move off of a Cole Perfetti? What kind of value do you think he has, and, and would you move off him? I know he's hurt right now. I understand that. But if you're a, a St. Louis, for example... You don't need Cole Perfetti till the end of the year. You need him healthy to mm-hmm. start the next season and to distribute pucks to Thomas and Cairo and, and, the, and the likes of Shen, those guys. 
do you like would Cole Perfetti be a piece that you'd want to move off of that you can move off that has that has value? Kenny, you tend to be a little bit worldly in the hockey world. Like you're <laughs> you're everywhere, right? What, what like well, how do you how do you feel about that? And I'm not so sure. Like I know Cole really well and I love the way he plays. I think he was right on the edge of really turning a corner here. Um and, and becoming that consistent producer. I I, I think this was a it's been a good year for him. But where do you stand on that? Like how much, I wonder how much value he has in the marketplace. For me, Sammy, I think that when you started to see his name attached to a potential price tag for a Timo Meyer, uh, that would be the only type of player that would be the kind of guy that I think that the Jets could even have that into a consideration. And that again is, that's assuming that the Jets could have got Meyer signed to an extension, not for a uh, one year yeah. or a second yeah. year. At, you know, you do the QO at 10 mil, but if they had been able to get a commitment from Meyer beyond this year, I would have swallowed hard, but I would have included him in the deal, I think. Like I said, I, I don't think the Jets should be in a rush to move him, but if they want to get an imp- like what have we been talking about? Sean and I have been talking about this for a long time. The Jets' biggest issue is roster composition. They got plenty of skilled players. They need certain... like. They don't have a lot of power forwards. They got Nino Niederreiter. He is a power forward, but he's not a 40-goal power forward like Timo Meyer. So the only way I would really include him in any of those discussions is if you're getting a Timo Meyer or if you're getting a legit top-pairing defenseman. Uh, because, again, I think that his skill set... Are there concerns with the injuries? Of course. The last two yeah. years have been tough for Cole. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they're going to be tough for the next eight years, but it is something that would you know, cause you to have pause because you need Cole to be playing at this time of year. That's when he provides his best value. So uh, I would say, like, like I said, though. yeah, exactly. In, there would be some opinion, similarities like for he sure. Plays, he's, he's highly, highly effective. And a lot like Chikrin, he's been injured a lot earlier in his career. Now Chikrin's career goes back a little further than Cole's does. Yeah. But my goodness, when Cole plays, he is effective. And I would like to think that there's guys that are on the current roster right now that, oh yeah, like, we he's good we want him he's distributing pucks like we love him he's got eyes in the back of his head all of those things and that might be the cost like i don't know yeah sometimes it comes to that you know what i mean sometimes it comes to that like if you want to you know would you move him for pareko i don't know i haven't looked at pareko's contract situation but like yeah that it still has be- seven yeah. more years yeah. at 6.25 yeah so. yes it's heavy. But so but here's here's the deal though and this is one thing term for players team control over players means more to Winnipeg than maybe any other team in the league and that's one thing that happens here right when you got a kid like Cole Perfetti you're not just sending out the door the potential for that player you're sending out the door the fact that you got five more years of that guy locked down. So uh, I I do there, that's what I'm saying. So in a move like that, I think you do do that. I think in years past, the Jets have held on to their young players too long, especially players that there's not really a direct path uh, for them to make it to the big club. And, and I do think that team control has come first and foremost to the detriment of moving those players. And what's happened in the past is we've seen players kind of die on the vine and see their value diminish and dissipate and sometimes altogether disappear before they can be moved. So I do think that there needs... I think you bring up a good point, Sammy, because I think while while team control still needs to be front and center in Winnipeg because that's the biggest hammer that they wield, there has to be a little bit of an idea that, sure, but that doesn't mean we don't 
explore situations where we move players like that to try and get something big on the other end of it. I think you're entirely right about that. I think that that's been a strategy that's been missing over the years. So it's another way of me saying, I love the idea of them going after Pareko, bringing that player in, having seven more years of him. I know a lot of people are going to be against that. And I know a lot of people, especially when it's an older player, get scared away by that. To me, forget about that. Like, uh, I listen, I know that a lot of people are now thinking that I'm the guy in this market as a journalist who represents the don't give away your future for the present. Even though I was the guy who was running out on the field with that flag at the beginning of the year, right? My situation has changed because I think that the Winnipeg Jets have shown who they are and it looks a lot like what they've looked like the last number of years. And, and, and that means it gets harder to invest on them. But that said, if, if, if you go back to my track record on this, I think that the Jets have needed to swing big time and time again, and they haven't. And I think they need to get more creative. I think they need to look at the assets, the young assets that they have, and not be afraid of sending them out the door. And that's what we've seen here in the past. I don't know how much of an effect, maybe you want to take that on, Ken, how much of an effect has that had on this trade deadline? Uh, because... Uh, I, I do honestly think that Chevy was ready to push all his chips into the middle of the table, and he just kept getting dealt cards that didn't look very good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's the same as before. I mean, when the Jets had all the injuries, we were on opposite sides of the fence. So, you know, you said you should wait to maximize That's where we belong, you and I. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So the re- this was part of, again, this is not rose-colored glasses. This is when I was saying in December and January that the Jets should up- upgrade the middle six, it was to prevent... You know, the drop-off. I know the Jets played hard when those guys were missing, but I don't know. It's super interesting. I mean, and I don't even know in a a Blues deal, I don't know that they're necessarily asking. They might be asking for Perfetti. I don't think that that's necessarily... I think that they could get the deal done without including Perfetti. I think it's got to be, you know a little bit more of an offensive defenseman, a top pairing guy, if that was the ask. But um, it's super interesting. And the direction, the direction, what's the direction for the team? I mean, and we, this is, this was always my counter to Sean too. I mean, what future are you protecting? I mean, the biggest issue that most teams have often is overvaluing their prospects. I mean, Brandstrom looked like a Sam, you're at the world junior. I mean, this guy looks like a bona fide top pairing guy. Now he's going to be barely struggling to stay in the league. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. I'm not. I'm not including Perfetti in that grouping, but Chaz Lucius is not a guarantee. I mean, he's had a lot of injuries. Yeah. Terribly unfortunate for him with the injuries, and he was absolutely dominant when he went to Portland, which I thought was a great move yeah. by the Jets. Lambert. I mean, we don't know if he's going to be a real top six forward. I mean, I think the Jets should give him a little bit longer leash to become that. But I mean. He barely had an impact at the AHL level, but he's only a kid. I mean, this guy needs time to develop, but um, sometimes overvaluing the prospects is what gets teams in trouble, which again, I mean, I want to, Sam, while we have you, I mean, we got to ask about Logan Stanley. I mean, good work by Andy Strickland here today. I mean, this is something that Elliot Friedman has talked about. He mentioned that he he didn't go quite as far this time, but I think Elliot's mentioned on 32 Thoughts that he thought in the summer maybe that the you know Logan Stanley's people maybe wanted to suggest that maybe a trade might be in the best interest. So I mean, a I mean you know I know you watched him a lot. We watched him yeah. together. Um, what do you think Logan Stanley's value is around the league? And is there still a team that thinks this guy can become a Jamie Alexiak 
uh, you know, if he gets more, a little bit more ferocious and physical and, and becomes that a little bit more, because we know the skating can be there when he's going, but right now he seems to be struggling. He's, I mean, he got passed on the depth chart this year, partly yeah. because of injury and partly because of his play. Yeah. He, he's a fascinating one for me. He really is. And, and again, he's a guy that I got to know well and, and watch growing up all the way through. And, uh, you know, Winnipeg, was really patient before giving him that opportunity. And then the opportunity was afforded to him and then injuries. So it's, it's been a tough ride. I still have faith in him. Where does he fit in an NHL lineup? To be honest with you, he's probably a bottom three guy. So yeah. if you got a seven D seven D he's, he fits somewhere five, six, seven. I don't think, you know, and where he was taken, you're, you're projecting a top four. I, I don't think Logan is that I, I don't, you know, he's had enough time now. But he's battled through some adversities that he's probably not that. And so if you're okay with you know what the price is gonna be, and of course, sometimes it takes players a little while to realize what they're what they're gonna be, right? And they have to play. And so I'm gonna give you a great example. Nicholas Delorier played for Rouen Aranda, was a defenseman in junior hockey, was a 60, 70 point defenseman in junior hockey for Rouen Aranda, a defenseman. Okay, skater, awesome, would run a power play at the NHL level would be his prediction when you saw him in junior. Yeah. He gets here and he's like, oh, pretty tough on D here. Um, okay, well, by, by hook or by crook, I'll play forward a little bit. I'm uh, not good enough. My skills aren't good enough. My skills look pretty good as a defenseman. They're not good enough as a forward. Uh, I can't go back and play D now. What am I going to do? And he's a serviceable guy. You watch him. Like, he he does still have skill. He just never gets the opportunity to show it. But he skates well enough. And he's one of the toughest guys in the league. You know, you might put him and Reeves. they got to be near the top five, top three. You probably put Reeves there. Delorier's not too far behind. So there's a perfect example of a guy who took a long time to realize where he fit in the game. And now he's good. he's got a job and a long-term job. And so for Logan... Is he going to be one of those guys who signs a six by seven or six by six? That's not going to happen for Logan. So is he going to have to fight people? Probably a little bit. Is he going to have to be that nasty piece of business that you don't want to go near the net front with? He's going to have to be that. He's going to also have to be the guy that has an opportunity to use a shot and break a few ankles and get people out of the way. Um, and when he could start to do all of those things, it's not so much about the points. It's about really limiting your mistakes playing a really simple brand of defensive hockey and getting pucks into the forward's hands as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And when that option doesn't work and your hands aren't good enough to do the dipsy doodle, boom, boom, old school off the glass and get it out. And when he kind of comes to that realization that that's what he has to be, he'll have a bottom six role. Listen, the David Savards, the Joel Edmondsons, the Luke Shens of the world, those dudes have made a lot of money and they brought teams a lot back in trade for their ability to do just that. And I don't think Logan Stanley, I think Logan Stanley should look at that blueprint and say, all right, that's the guy that I can become. Guys, I yeah, want to penalty killer, right? Just, penalty killer. That's another thing. Sorry, side, yeah, exactly. You reach whatever. I got about three more minutes. Then I got to go get my son. Yes, okay, then uh, here, I wanted to ask you this question. I wanted to get into this. It was a good question asked here by uh, Stonewall Dave. Uh, or sorry, where is it? Uh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, tra- Stonewall Dave says trade talk is above the top, uh, is obviously the topic of the day, but it would be a waste to have Sammy on and not talk prospects. Will this draft class be the best ever? So I'm going to ask a way so that we can tie the two in here together. Uh, the idea of trading away, if you were the Winnipeg Jets and something big came on the board, the idea of trading away your 2023 first round pick, knowing that it could be a mid teens pick would that be a disastrous move and please tell us why in relation to the strength of this draft class not a disastrous move if it's inside a 10 then i would i i would i'd want to stick to it and again i and i love this draft class and there's going to be great value probably right through into the early stages of the second round um but for me you know kyle dubas said it best okay they don't have a lot of picks here coming up the next couple of years, but they've done a really good job. And, and when Winnipeg should feel the same way, when you have your American Hockey League team right there, getting to know the prospects they have and feeling confident in their ability to make that next step. And when you have that confidence, then you can start to move picks away. And when you have confidence in your scouting staff that you can find value in picks outside the first round, like a Tampa Bay, then you can give away five picks and a player to go and do that. So that's where you need to get to as, as an organization. If it's a top 10, I wouldn't want to do it. If, it's, if that's a move that gets me into the playoffs in this West, yeah, because now you're picking 16 and later. So I'm okay with that. But I love this draft class. This draft class settles a lot of really good skilled forwards. In fact, we might not see the first D go off the board until about 10 to 12. And that's going to be a fascinating scenario for me. When I think about Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Mitchkoff, say whatever you want about him. Benson, Jagger, Crystal's probably in that conversation now. Barlow's in that conversation now. Uh, Dvorsky is, is in that conversation. Edward Chalet might be in that conversation. Like there's a wealth of guys there in that top 10 that are really highly skilled forwards. The D have started to emerge. There's pretty good size with the D. Uh, they'll start to enter the fray around that 10 to 14 range, right? So now I'm looking at I'm okay with moving that pick if it's outside of the top 10. And again, if you're moving it, you're getting a player that you think is going to impact you. And then again, hey, you always have the condition. You can protect it for a year. Yeah, Not a problem. That's happened in a lot of deals already, and that's fine. Um but I, I, I really love the forward depth, the skill depth of this draft class. It's, it's pretty awesome. I didn't even mention Moore, Smith, Leonard, all from the U.S. program. So now, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good group of 12 players, uh, highly skilled forwards. Love it. Thanks, my man. Appreciate you taking some time. We look forward to seeing you this week coming up here. I can't wait. I'm in town Monday. You know, we get a little snow here in Toronto and it's Armageddon. Honestly, it's the most beautiful day out there right now. They're talking about 30 centimeters of snow tomorrow. It's deadline day. I'm going to be inside with nothing to talk about all day long tomorrow. But I need to get in there and see the Wheaties and the ice in Brandon Saturday night. All right? So do your prayers. Do what you got to do. Get me on the road. Fly me in safely. Get me out to Brandon. Let me see some Wheaties action, some junior hockey. And then I'll connect with you boys on Sunday. Looking forward to it for the Tilt Monday night. 
Well, good luck. Hopefully your flight doesn't get canceled because I was in Toronto last Friday and I got snuck on a plane. I'm not even sure. I think Air Canada still thinks I'm there because flights are so backed up. So don't get your flight canceled because there's a good chance you'll never make it into Winnipeg. Carry on bag only, Sammy. Carry on bag only, (laughs) man. I'll work my best. All right, boys. Good to see you. Looking forward to seeing you, but I can't wait. Have a great weekend. Thanks for for dropping in. See you guys. Um, okay. Uh, I wanted to get into something here. Let's go back to Logan Stanley. I like, uh, or I, I wanted to get your take on this news popping up now. To me, this sounds like an agent who is taking a time right now to say, let's throw out the fishing lure to all the other GMs out there who would maybe be looking for something like this so that if the Winnipeg Jets are getting calls or there are trades happening, it makes it that much easier to pry this player loose from Kevin Sheveldayoff. What kind of pressure do you think this puts on Kevin Sheveldayoff? Well, I think you both you and I agree still wants to try and make a deal. How hard is it to make that deal now and not include Logan Stanley given what has happened here today? Zero pressure, Sean. We've seen this movie before, Jack Rosovic and many others. Uh, lots of people have asked. Not very many people, uh, you know, and a lot of those have been granted. But at the Jets' timing, not at the other team's timing or at the players' timing. So I don't see this as an issue. I was talking about this with Hustler uh, just before in Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, I mean, could they include him as part of the deal? That could be on the horizon, certainly. I mean, we talked about Arizona maybe being a possibility for the Jets to find a way to make a move. If they're looking for a lower salaried type of players, sure. But he's not, like I said, I would put it this way. Logan Stanley doesn't suddenly jump to the top of the priority list because someone leaked that he might be available or might want a change of scenery. Um, I understand there'd be some frustration. For Logan, this season has not gone the way that he had hoped that it had. Uh, in a lot of ways, Dylan Sandberg passed him on the depth chart, so I get it. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what this next little stretch. I mean, it's possible that he's moved. I just don't think that it's a high-priority item. I think if if he's a guy that's attracting some interest, that could that could be an impetus for them to move him. Uh, but I don't see this being a high-priority item, and, you know, I'd say it's still 50-50 that he's on the roster tomorrow. And even if he is on the roster, it doesn't mean he's suddenly going to be the eighth defenseman and not, not jumping on. I mean, like he's still going to, could have an opportunity. If the Jets don't add a defenseman, Logan Stanley is not going to be, you know, sitting and sulking in the corner. He's going to be working hard to be in the lineup whenever he can get into the lineup because he wants to raise his value both with this team and potentially with others in the off season. If, if a move ends up being necessary. So uh, I don't see a, uh, you know, I don't see a big, I don't see it as a, a big, big news. I mean, it's good reporting for sure. Um, but I don't see it being, I mean, do you see it as anything other than uh, something that could happen? I mean, like, I don't think that the Jets are suddenly going to move all their energy into moving Logan Stanley to, tomorrow. Well, the, but no, that's not what I mean. I think what's happened here is the GM, or sorry, the agent is trying to hang out. Sorry, right. I shouldn't say agent because we don't know that, that that's it. But I think what it is, is they're sending out a message to any team out there that because I think what the Jets are going to do is you never know where that the, the Kevin Shovel Day off pick is going to come from, right? Like just like Nino Niederreiter, just like Stastny when that trade happened, the trades that the Winnipeg Jets usually makes are the trades no one sees coming because right. I think what Kevin Shovel Day off does is spend his time going to other teams and being like, okay. Who's a potential mover? I know it's no one. It may not be anyone that you're interested in moving right now, but 
if we could strike a deal and we were looking for something like this, who is who is someone that you'd maybe be interested in moving? I think that's how the Nino Niederreiter deal happened. So I think what's happening here right now is whatever, wherever that news came from, likely from Logan Stanley's camp, what they're doing is they're sending out the message so that if there's any bottom teams out there, maybe you're the Florida Panthers, right? right? Maybe you're the Anaheim Ducks. Maybe you're just thinking, oh, geez, this is a guy we didn't know was out there. Suddenly there's that name. Well, the Jets may want some depth. So here comes Dmitry Kulikov. What's the, I, what, what's the chance that the Winnipeg Jets are going to say, okay, well, now if they come asking and part of that ask is Logan Stanley, that's the fishing lure that's been thrown out there. Does it get potential offers coming into the Jets that wouldn't have existed out there before. I, I don't think for a second, we we know enough about Kevin Sheveldayoff to know that Kevin Sheveldayoff isn't going to be bullied into making a move. However, to your point, a lot of those, a lot of times when people have come and asked for, for a trade, it eventually happens, right? Sure. You know that Jacob Truba, eventually he moved. It was on Kevin Sheveldayoff's timeline, but eventually he moved, as did Jack Roslevic, as did Patrick Lyonet. So in the end, these players, when they do make the ask, that ask usually ends up happening. I just think the timing of this is one that I both uh, both you and I, Ken, and one thing I think we agree on is Kevin Sheveldayoff is not done. He's going to make some kind of moves. And I just think that Kevin or Logan Stanley's representatives have tried to elbow him into the conversation. Sure. And this is their way of putting their best foot forward to get him out of that situation. I also think that, you know, there's potential here for Logan Stanley to take a look at this situation, know what's happening with Billy Hanla, know that the Winnipeg Jets have probably been in trying to find a guy like Jacob Chikrin. And if they had landed Jacob Chikrin, what would that have done to Logan Stanley's standing in the Winnipeg Jets organization for a guy who's a 6'7 defenseman? That that doesn't sound like it's very good, right? Unless he was going the other direction. So I think Logan Stanley would be happy and open to going to another team that may not have as strong of a defense core and see if he can't find himself as a 5'6 defenseman on a team that is not a very good team, not a playoff team, and then try and work his way in as a permanent NHL and then figure it out from there. Yeah, and a great example. So, I mean, I, th- I would use an example of the Philadelphia Flyers, right? So I could see the Flyers having some interest in Logan Stanley, and I could see the Jets being interested in a more seasoned version in Nick Sealer, right? So they are familiar with Sealer from his time with the uh, Minnesota Wild and then yes. with the Chicago Blackhawks. So he is everything the package was, I mean, more of a third pairing guy, but tough as nails, plays a physical game and is, you know, mobile enough. Uh, I would say that Sealer would be, a, he's also under contract for one more year for under a million dollars. So I mean, to me, a trade like that would make sense because Philadelphia still adds some toughness but they're also sending, you know, they're also getting, you know, I, I don't know, would there have to be something else included? I'm not sure. I mean, look at a team like Anaheim. Most of their defense core is turning over. So could they see uh, a potential for that? Sure. I mean, I think Arizona is another team that, I mean, they're going to have to have rosters, right? They're going to have to have roster players. So if you're, if you're, you want to give them a test drive for the 20 games here, of course, that could be an option. Um, but in terms of the value, what teams are willing to give up that that's what we don't know. And that same would apply to Vili Hanala. I mean, we don't know what, uh, you know, what Vili Hanala would attract on the marketplace. And the other thing, Sean, you and I've talked about based on where these players contracts are going to be expiring. I mean, maybe I just don't think that the jets 
you know, we're going to want to wait two more years for Vili Hanala to be in their lineup. I mean, it's it's just too long, I think, by that yeah. point. Uh, but Declan Chisholm had an all-star season. The, if, if the Jets feel that eventually he can become a Devon Taves type of player, that would be a home run for them. But he's not God, waver- yeah. he, he's no longer waiver-exempt. So he's going to have to be on the team next year or else he's getting claimed. So that means guy like Logan Stanley, who's already having trouble getting into the lineup, you know, that to me is would be something to look at there as well, which why it would be why that maybe the, you know, his camp would be suggesting that now it might be a time to move him as well. So uh, I could see, you know, one thing we should mention, it's gone in the chat. I mean, a lot of people have been asking about Max Domi, maybe for the Jets naturally because Ty played here. He was born uh, here. Yeah. And the one thing I would say about Max Domi, he's having a great season on a bad team. Uh, he has been very productive. He's played on a lot of teams. Uh, he, you know, he is also produced at a good level. It doesn't mean that like he's gone to a contender before uh, after playing on bad teams and producing and it hasn't always gone as smoothly so I don't and he's also not a very good defensive player he gives up I think as much as he gets so that's why I don't think the Jets have been as maybe pre- predominant in the in the rumblings but if you're a team like the Dallas Stars that has trouble scoring Sean we've covered them in the playoffs I mean Max Domi makes sense for them and some people are saying oh well the Jets need complimentary scoring why wouldn't it make sense for them well because they already have a you know players that are you know working hard at becoming better at defending so to bring in another player who's not you know overly responsible or reliable defensively I'm not sure that's a trade-off, but I mean, the feistiness and the scoring, of course it would help the Jets, but I don't see that as a great fit. But what we do know is that the Jets were interested in Max Domi at one point when they drafted Josh Morrissey. So I think that worked out pretty well. So, it, but there, to my original point earlier, we expected Jim Nill and the Dallas Stars to be active. So that's why I'm not surprised he's going to the Dallas Stars and they've addressed one of their needs, which is why I still think uh, that the Jets will do something similar. Um, okay. There's something I wanted to ask. And so everyone who's been asking, I know that we uh, previewed the possibility of Elliot Friedman joining us here. That's all it ever was. We asked Elliot. Elliot said he was going to try to get here, but you, you can see everything is evolving at this moment. It was a wish list, a wish on a shooting star thing uh, to get Elliot on the show. Just the fact that he responded when he was asked says a lot about him. The fact that he was going to try. I mean, if he shows up, we'll bring him in and we'll ask him a quick question, but I did want want to ask him a question Ken I'm going to get you to take a stab at it um the idea of the Jets having been on it like we know that they were trying to get in on Timo Meyer yep. we know that they were trying to get in on Jacob Chikrin Timo Meyer I think the answer of why the Jets never went down that road is the exact answer that we see them with the Devils is that he signed with the Devils and he hasn't signed an extension right so so there's a situation where they're going to get him and he's going to walk. The fact that they get him for one playoffs and then another, I think that's okay for them, but they're in a different situation. They don't have the potential of Pierre-Luc Dubois walking in that same time frame, Connor Hellebuck walking in that same time frame, Mark Shifley walking in that same time time frame. So I can understand that why that happens, but you take a look at a guy like Jacob Chikrin, who the Jets this is exactly what they'd be looking for, potentially moving something to get an asset that is locked down for some years that allows them to address the future with the future, a deal like that. But why do you think in the end 
the Winnipeg Jets are in a situation where they're trying to make moves and they're not getting those moves locked down. I wanted to ask that to Elliot, but in the end, this is a Jets were in on Chikrin. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it's as simple as the price. Maybe it's the player choosing one place or the other. But why do you think in the end, the Winnipeg Jets are trying to make moves and not getting beat out to those moves by other teams? Yeah, I mean, the thing with Meyer here that folks should know that are, who are unaware of the devil situation. So in, in a lot of ways, Dubois was kind of some insurance down the middle for the Jets, right? So for the Devils, they have a homegrown player in Jesper Brat who is having a great year, but he's going to require a long-term contract. So, you know, now I don't know. I'm not saying they can't sign both players, but what they are going to do is going to have the potential to sign both players. But if they don't, they have insurance, right? And again, Meyer is everything that they don't have. The Devils have a ton of of, of undersized forwards that have incredible uh, talent and skill. So what Meyer brings to that group is what they don't have. They don't have a lot of size in that kind of a body that can score. So uh, I can understand that as soon as Claude Lemieux or you know if this conversation ever happened, and we expect that it had, uh, provided permission was granted. Uh, as soon as Meyer said to the Jets that he was unwilling to sign an extension, that either changed the price tag or probably took them out, right? So that probably took them out of the sweepstakes. Uh, so it shouldn't be a huge surprise. That's not to say that the Jets were just dipping the toe to make it sound like they were had some interest. Like They were genuinely interested, but for one year, they already have enough big issues to, to sort through that a $10 million qualifying offer was going to be a tough situation. In terms of chicken, I'm not sure. And then like Bill Armstrong and Kevin Sheveldayoff are the only people that know for sure. And I don't anticipate either one of them sharing what the Jets' best offer for chicken oh, yeah. was. If it was, I mean, you have to imagine it was less than what Ottawa offered. But this is another thing I, I had said with Hustler. Part of the problem is that when a GM, what we assume happens in these scenarios is that Bill Armstrong asked Kevin Sheveldayoff to make his best offer and he wasn't given a chance to stick a price match when he went to Pierre Dorian later on. He had his opportunity and then someone else made the deal. So you don't think it was that way? Hold on. No, I'm just saying, but then isn't it a failure as a GM to secure the asset that you're looking to secure? Like we've said this on this show before. If it's as simple as that, if it's as simple that Kevin Sheveldayoff didn't make the best trade, then at some point, like from what we've talked about, everything that I said about the Jets as a organ or as the players not paying off the faith and putting Kevin Sheveldayoff in a bad spot, that doesn't apply to this because this is a deal where the Jets can move some of their futures to get a guy who's around here for the future. So to me, this is a trade that if the Jets wanted to make that, this is a trade they should be making. But at some point, if Kevin Sheveldayoff is trying to buy a house and he keeps getting outbid on that house, we've said this before, the market is the market, the price is the price. If you want to get in on the market, at some point you have to be willing to pay the price why then is Kevin Sheveldayoff on a deal that looks like everything the Jets should be going for? If, if this is the case, why is he allowing himself to be beat out on the price? It's a great question. And like I said, we don't, we don't, I don't have the answer. If I knew the answer, I, I could tell you. I mean, I, I think that he, he would have fit in a lot of regards. I mean, two more years at 4.6 million to play in the top four. Uh, I think that would have helped the Jets. And given what the price that was paid, I think they could have afforded the price. 
But what Sam told us that I had no idea about, Chikrin has family roots in Ottawa. He has no yeah. family roots here. So for a guy who was born in Florida uh, and has family roots, maybe that was the difference between saying yes to Winnipeg and yes. To, I mean, the player did not have protection. So uh, it's not that the player was necessarily asked, but that it would be a more, you know, scenario that he'd be more, more open to. Maybe that was part of it, but we don't know that either, right? So... Uh, your point is well made, but the other part of the we don't know, maybe he wasn't their primary target. We think we see him as a guy who should be a primary target. Maybe he wasn't, but only Kevin Sheveldoff knows for sure. And part of the problem is that he's not going to be forthcoming with us, Sean, in terms of why that deal didn't get no. to the finish line. So that leaves us to speculate about the whys. And that's why I say, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to provide as best context that we can. Uh, but to me, that that's why they need to still make a move. I mean, uh, two moves, quite frankly. And, you know, another one of the guys who came off the board before we just went on the show with Nick Bukestad. I thought he would have been a guy that would be a, a yeah. fine pickup uh, for the Winnipeg Jets, you know, third liner or whatever, what, whatever you want to call him. But uh, it's going to be a fascinating time here. There are still, like I said, I don't understand the trade boards are getting uh, devastated here and most names are coming off. But what I would say is that, uh, there are players available if, just to your point that you just made, if the Jets are willing to pay the price. And one quick thing I want to say about the chat room. Chat room, Tom Wilson is not going anywhere. Uh, the Capitals are only dumping off mostly pending UFA assets. Uh, that's what made me laugh about last night. People speculating that Tom Wilson was going to go to the Penguins. Are you kidding me? They're going to trade him to their biggest rival? <laughs> yeah. Are you Are you serious? Come on now. And again, we know the connection here. Taylor Pischke is from Winnipeg. I don't think she spends, she spends the majority of her time in Toronto these days as a home base. So, I mean, I understand where the connection would be. And would Tom Wilson help the Jets in a lot of the areas they are deficient in? Absolutely he would. But uh, I don't think that uh, he's going to be moved for what from Washington to begin with. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to go sideways there, but. Not, not at all. There I, is I, an I want... opportunity on the horizon here still, but it's hard to identify what it looks like actually. And then that's, I just don't know where it's coming from, but I do think that there would be players available that, that would still make sense for the jets. Uh, again, you and I have covered Jason Dickinson, Sean, when he was in, in Dallas, he's played for Rick bonus, been to the cup final. This is not an impact, a top six player, but no. for a bottom six that needs help, He's got eight goals this year. He's been to the Stanley Cup final. He plays a physical game, incredibly high character person, kills penalties, and has one more year of term left on his deal at, I think, two just over $2 million. So, you know, some people may look at that and say, well, that's just Zach Sanford. Well, I think it's a, a guy that would have a bigger impact than Zach Sanford had. But do I think that that's enough? Not necessarily, but I do think it would be a start. I mentioned Connor Murphy in my trade deadline piece. He's got a few more years left on his deal. He's a big right shot defenseman. Uh, you know, maybe not quite Colton Pareko like, but you know that kind of a player. He wears, an, you know, he's an alternate captain with the Blackhawks. You know, I would think that he would have some value. But if there's a bigger name out there, I still think too. I know there's been a lot of talk about the Flyers today, about defensemen, whether it's Ivan Provorov or um, or Travis Sanheim from uh, from Elkhorn. I still think if the Jets are making a deal with the Flyers, I think they should be swinging for the fences and trying to get Travis Konechny. I know that would be a big swing. I think Nick Sealer would be a good throw-in in that situation, but 
Uh, again, I, there's got to be another team out there. And Sam Reinhardt, I should also mention. I said that with the, maybe I said it here. I can't remember. I was I've been talking nonstop since two fifteen, Sean. So uh, I apologize if I said it here and not with Husser. But I think that Sam Reinhardt would be a guy that uh, would have some appeal to the Jets also. Uh, Delorier that Sam mentioned. Yes, he would be great, but he is a modified no-trade clause as well, and I don't think that the Flyers are dumping him after a one-year deal. So uh, I think that there's still something to be had. There are moves to be made, but uh, we expect it could go right down to the wire here. And, I mean, we have to leave the opportunity open that nothing else gets done. And if that's the case, I think that's a swing and a miss for the Jets. But, I mean, that's that's my personal opinion. And uh, if if we hear about the price tags, then, you know, that could be you know what we find out but um i don't like i said i think that the jets have an obligation to improve this roster uh both for the players for the for the fan base and you know for the fact that where they are in their development curve and they still are within striking distance of first place and if they don't make a run at it i think that sends a poor message um Okay, before we go, uh, I wanted to do two things. You just handled one of the two things by giving a pretty extensive list of the players that Jets could go after. Uh, We would be remiss not to uh, at least tackle... um, Well, let's do it quickly. Uh, There's nine potential teams, and I don't even know that we need to go that way with Calgary because they haven't made any moves. So I want to go through the Central Division right now the Pacific, the teams that have made deals. I'm just going to get, let's do this quick fire. I'm going to give you a team. I want you to address who they've picked up and how you think that affects the team. So let's start in the central division with Dallas at the top. Uh, they get Domi, they get uh, Gurionov, is it? Um, no, Gurionov uh, is out for sorry. Dodonov. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yes. Um, give me an idea of where you think that leaves this team. Uh how it makes them more challenging and whether or not they're done. I think they're improved slightly when it comes to offense, but I would say that they're you know still what we thought they were. I mean, I know you and I differ slightly. I think that Dallas is still a contender uh, because they have Ottinger, they have an incredible top line, and they have you know a resurgent Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. I think their defense core is pretty sound. Could they be looking to add still? Yes, but I think they've improved. Okay, um, let's go to uh, Colorado and their addition of Lars Eller. Absolutely love the the pickup of Lars Eller. I think he's a perfect. You know, he's a perfect guy that can play in the bottom six. Great penalty killer, very smart, mobile, and he has a lot of playoff experience, including a Stanley Cup in his resume. Uh, I think it was a smart ad, and I think we could see another move by the you know Chris McFarland slash Joe Sakic uh, combination here before Friday arrives. But they're I'm they're insane. going they're going to win the Central, and they are the cream of the crop right now in the West. Yeah. Ryan Friesen is somewhere stabbing himself under the table with a fork <laughs> after you said that he's not going to be happy that you came over to Rennie's side on that one. I'm going to say this, this is one place where I differ greatly um, uh, with the, uh, with what Sam said earlier and what most of the people are saying when everyone talks about the West being wide open, I think some people need to put some respect on the name of the Colorado avalanche. They needed to do one, a couple things this year a, they needed to survive all the insane injuries that they went through. They've done that. They've come out on the other side of that. They are now looking like one of the hottest teams in the league. You're right. They're going to win the Central Division. They're going to be the number one seed by the time this is all said and done. Uh, I was thinking this the other day, Ken. Three players 
uh, I would argue are in the top 15 players in the league, if not three players in the top 10. Nathan McKinnon, I think outside of uh, Connor McDavid, has the highest points per game. Uh, what team, if they couldn't start drafting any defenseman in the NHL, wouldn't start with Kale McCarr? And it may have been a better year uh, for um, Miko Rantanen than any of those players. He may be their MVP. That team is, is insanely stacked. Landeskog could be coming back. I love the Lars Eller pickup because it, it gives them some depth, which they haven't had down the lineup. He's a hard guy to play against. And I like you, I don't think they're done. Uh, this is why I hate the argument that teams should go all in in the West because they're wide open, uh, because the West is wide open. Until someone knocks that team off, they are not wide open, and I put them alongside anybody in the East. So uh, I-, I hate the argument, do something, because the West is wide open, especially if you're the Jets and could find yourself playing them in the first round. Don't like it at all. Uh, the Minnesota Wild. only concern would be with the McCarr two concussions in 11 days for Sean. Sure. i mean that's for a, sure that's a lot uh, that's the best defenseman in the nhl so if you if they don't have him at their disposal i'm not saying they won't uh that that i think is why people are still saying it's wide open and also yeah. the other part of that is georgiev has had a great year he has very limited playoff i mean and maybe he has any playoff uh, success under his and i understand the counter argument well darcy kemper got it done last year Darcy yeah. Kemper played well when he needed to, and so did Pavel Fransos. Uh, in terms of the Wild, I mean, I think that uh, they've been interesting. I mean, they've acted as a third-party broker, then they added two forwards. Um, you know, are they high-impact forwards? No, but they're smart, complementary forwards. Marcus Johansson has some playoff experience, won a Stanley Cup. Uh, Gustav Nyquist is a guy who, you know, prior to his injury had been linked a little bit to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I've always liked his game overall. He, he is, a, you know, he is a very responsible two-way player. LB, I'm sorry. Uh, I saw you taking shots at me the last show and today. If you think we're not saying the Jets should not do more, I don't think you've been tuning in for very long. Uh, I've said the Jets are obligated to make just, their roster I, better. I think he just wants, for reasons of catharsis, he just wants us to be okay. yelling and, and saying no, that Chevy's sorry, that's not what our going. show is here. I so thank you for wants. listening, but I mean... We've been talking about the Jets need to improve, so that's what we're talking about. Uh, Minnesota um, Wild are mildly improved. I know, Sean, we also differ on the feeling about the Wild. Uh, I think that the Wild, if they get any goaltending, will be a very difficult out for any team they play. That's that'll be a hard say, out. That's not to say that they will get out of the first round. That's been tough for them to do. Uh, they have given the Jets absolute fits in the first two games of the series. There will be two more games, and I can't wait to see them. Uh, because usually they're high event hockey with incredible intensity. Uh, the Wild had their own you know, pitfalls during the course of the year, but they've come out of it. So for me, uh, I think that I'm not calling them the sleeper team of the Central, but they play playoff brand hockey, and if they get goaltending from Mark Andre Fleury and or Philip Gustafson, uh, they could give teams some difficulty in the in the in the playoffs. Do I think another move is coming? Uh, you know, is someone going to come in and swoop in and get Matt Dumba? Maybe, but I don't know that that's, uh, I don't see that happening. And Bill Guerin basically said he's going to have to have his socks knocked off in terms of an offer, but uh, he's a guy that would be interesting, especially if a team that wants to sign him uh, longer term comes in late uh, on that. But uh, Nick Suzuki's that's not available, people. He's the Montreal Canadiens captain. Not he's not going anywhere. Uh, that's not happening. I appreciate yeah. the thought. Okay. Um, I just wanted to, level in quick there I, I i like that move i like the moves that uh um that the wild have made but you know you what you're 
what you're talking about when we see a lot of the deals that have been made, um, those deals I don't think are transformational. Oh, no, they're complimentary uh, moves. Yeah, complimentary. It's not transformational. I think in order to make the wild, you know, consider them a true threat, they would need something transformational. I just don't think they have the room to do that. I like the pickups. I still like the Jets. If they can figure out their game somewhat, I still like the. This is why I think it's important for the Jets not only to wake up, but to get into the second or third seed in the Central. Because, like I said, I think the Avs are taking that first seed. I think the Jets have a chance against uh, um, against Minnesota. I like their chances against Dallas based on what I've been seeing ever since we had this conversation, Ken. I've been watching a lot of Dallas games. There are massive holes in the way that organization plays. Uh, now, like the Jets, there could be a snap to it point, and if it did, they'd be a dangerous team. I just do not like what I'm seeing from a team that we know could be so good defensively under Rick Bonus. They have ridiculous, ridiculous issues with leaving um, – wide open passing lanes uh, against really bad teams underneath their new head coach. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like what I'm seeing from them one bit. And they also are a team that have played a stretch against ridiculously bad competition over the last little while. And they've fa- they've failed to make it rain. I, I think we're still yet to learn something about this team once they start yep. playing uh, tougher competition. I know they've got Chicago next. They're just on this crazy run of playing the worst teams in the NHL and they can't beat these teams. So what's going to happen when they start having to face, I don't know what their schedule is down the stretch here, but boy, oh boy, they they have to me shown something in the last little while, whether they can snap it to it and turn it on. That's a different question. But right now I see a team that even as bad as the Jets have been, I see them beating them in the first round if they can get ahead of Minnesota and play Dallas in that first round. If I were the Jets, that's what I would be wanting to do. Let's switch over, tackle Edmonton, because they've been the busiest team uh, in the West, taking the biggest stab. I like what they've done a lot. They're deeper up front. I think Bukes, that really works. I think Ekholm is transformational for a team that needed defense. I think they get that out of that, which could hide some of their uh, goaltending issues. What do you think? Oh, I love the moves Edmonton has made uh, both in the, you know, during the course of the year. It's that the, they're better. I mean, uh, there are some risks attached. Ty, you know, Tyson Berry is a popular guy who plays at the top of the best power play in the league, but Evan Bouchard has a huge shot. He's not as good of a puck or as sound of a puck mover at the top, but the guys doing the majority of the moving are 97 and 29. So, um, that's to take nothing away from what Tyson Berry has done. But Matthias Ekholm is a game changer. He's a guy that Jets were interested in two deadlines ago, I think. Uh, I think there will be a time before the you know, UC Soros willed their team into a playoff race and eventually got in. Uh, I've always loved the way Ekholm's played. I mean, I would, you know, I'd like the Oilers even more if they got Matthias Ekholm from 2018, that version, but this version's yeah. still pretty darn good. He will allow, he will take some of the heavier minutes off of Darnell Nurse, which is an important part of this equation. Uh, Ekholm is a guy that is absolutely beloved by his teammates. He will fit in so perfectly. He will provide a quiet ability of leadership. I mean, he doesn't play the same kind of game as a Victor Hedman, but he carries himself in a similar manner is what I would say, Sean. And we know, like, look at how Tampa talked about Victor Hedman last year during that Stanley Cup final we were at. I think Ekholm absolutely transforms the way that they play. I love the fact the Oilers have been looking for a right shot center 
for the last few years. Nick Bukestad, I love the move. I thought it would have been a great move by the Jets to pick him up and then to potentially grab him uh, to play longer than this one year on the rental deal. Um, Both those moves are excellent by Ken Holland. Uh, I understand they had, you know, they had a, you want to call, I hate using the word, but, uh, you know, yes, Apuliarvi has not worked out. Uh, if some folks want to call him a bust, fine. I think he can be, he can be a next version of a Valerie Nachushkin. Uh, I think, I'm not saying he's going to become Nachushkin. I think he's going to benefit from his surroundings, but uh, I don't, I don't think that, you know, I don't see him having a big impact on the Carolina Hurricanes down the stretch run here. Carolina went out and got Puliarvi and, you know, Shane Gossespair. But you know, is that going to help them win the East? I'm not certain. Um, so the Oilers did move players out because they had to. I love what they brought in, Sean. I think it was an absolutely you know brilliant couple of moves from Ken Holland, who has had to undertake cap gymnastics uh, throughout the la- almost the entire season. They've been Devin Shore has been on the Bakersfield Edmonton train back and forth, back and forth, saving money. Dylan Holloway having to get sent down. All of that. Uh, I love what they've done. Uh, I would say that the biggest question for the Oilers is the same question that we had you know, probably last year. I mean, can their goaltending hold up? Uh, Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner, that's up to them, right? But I think their team has improved. They'll be better defensively. Uh, they've upgraded their bottom six as long as Vander Kane gets healthy and you know isn't being suspended for hitting Nazem Kadri from behind. The Oilers can be one of the toughest outs in the Pacific Division. Sorry, that wasn't quick, I understand. No, that's okay. Uh, I want to move to the LA Kings, and I'm going to just start that one quickly here. The LA Kings, um, I was talking about this with you today. I talked uh, at length with uh, a lot of their media. Um, apparently, uh, and I don't know if the analytics back it up, um, or I don't know if I talked about this on the show the other day, but apparently the way they say it, uh, the, they, the, the goalies for that team have not won that team one game this year. I think... If there's an underrated, an underrated trade deadline right now, it's the LA Kings, not because it's busy, but because the LA Kings, from what you saw, are a team that can score. Their analytics say that they're a team that can defend. Everything kind of points to the fact that they just have not, they've had a shooter tutor for a goaltender for the entire year. Jonas Corposal was playing against the Jets um, uh, the last time they played uh, Columbus. Was he not, Ken? Yes, he played great against against the Jets. And also in the same week, he had 48 saves against the Leafs, I believe. Yeah, exactly. So you, as Jets fans, know what that player is capable of. If you put that player behind uh, a Los Angeles Kings team, I think you want to talk transformational. I think that may be the most transformational move, trade deadline move that has happened in the West so far, uh, which makes the Kings a very, very, very tough team to beat. I, I'm going to say it right now. I think it's the best move that we've seen in the West to date. Well, I also love Gavrikov on the back end for them. They've already had a strong defense core for me, and, and their young guys got some great experience last year. But Gavrikov is a you know a guy who should flourish in playoff time. Uh, I love the addition on the back end as well. I mean, Phoenix Copley did a nice job to kind of keep them afloat after Cal Peterson uh, struggled earlier in the year. And Jonathan Quick's numbers have not been good also. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's been lots of talk about the emotional component that maybe some of the long-term core pieces won't be happy with Quick leaving. But this is a team that had to improve. Um, so they did improve in between the Sorry. pipes. I mean, Corpus Allo is not a, you know, he's not a sure thing in the playoffs, but he, he has played well in the playoffs before. Uh, and I think that he will play well 
in this situation because he's going to a team that's very sound defensively, Sean. And that's why I think that the Kings, I like them pushing their chips here. Uh, I understand some people don't like the way the things were handled. The Kings goaltending hasn't been good enough, and Jonathan Quick was a part of that. So uh, would they have loved to have had him retire and maybe win him another cup? Of course, but he didn't live up to his end of the bargain in this situation either, and I'm not trying to be cold. Uh, this this is pro sports, and that's the reality. If he had played better, they wouldn't have been shopping for a goaltender. So oh, yeah. I, I think Rob Blake did something that is very important, and I think too, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the Pacific is pretty wide open here still. Um, but the Kings have improved and, you know, I also think that Vegas has improved and they're playing their best hockey of the entire season. Uh, I'll just transition into them right away. Sean, I love the moves that the, uh, Vegas Golden Knights have made in adding Ivan Barbashev, who was, you know, one of my top targets for the Winnipeg Jets for the last three months. Uh, you know, I, I, well, I listened to Kelly McCrimmon's, uh, availability they had 45 viewings on barbashev so they they were locked in on the blues they were interested in several of their players obviously they saw barbashev they had 45 sets of viewings of ivan barbashev uh, that just goes to show that when you're trying to identify a certain element that's what the vegas golden knights have done he will give their middle six a great boost i love his physical nature teddy bluger we're all we'll also give them some speed probably on the fourth line um, you know quick is it's it, depth. It's depth. It's some nice depth for the fourth line. They've had to play a lot of their kids from Henderson. You know, betting on Jonathan Quick, I mean, that's a gamble to a degree. But, hey, it's Vegas. So gambling, and you'll get, definitely get the most motivated version of Jonathan Quick. And, man, who doesn't want to – honestly, who doesn't want to see Vegas and L.A. in the first round yeah, after that trade yes. was made today? Let's go. I mean – I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But there again, we talk about teams, you know, some of the, one of those teams is going to be unhappy after making the moves they made. But guess what? That was the price of doing business. Those teams got better and one of them could be out in the first round. I mean, two of them could be out in the first round depending on what the matchups are. But I love the fact that they went out and did things that improved their hockey team without mortgaging the entire future. So uh, is that everybody in the Pacific or? No, we're still missing. Only? We're oh, still Seattle. missing Seattle. Seattle. So, I mean, Seattle is interesting. I mean, they could be a team that is kind of, you know, sniffing around right up until one fifty nine p.m. Uh, Central time, right? I mean, Ron Francis, this is interesting too, Sean. I mean, total two totally different situations, right? Same as, same as Ottawa, Winnipeg is different. So year one, the expansion team struggles. Year two, for a lot of the year, they were sniffing around first place in the Pacific. Now they're in a wild, kind of wild card battle. You know, they added in the summertime. They got Burakovsky. They improved their team. Now do you push a few more chips into the middle to improve, to maybe win a round or two? Sean, we talk about culture all the time. So for Seattle, if you're Ron Francis, how do you view the value of playoff teams? And what's the difference between maybe adding somebody that can help you push you through the first round or maybe standing pat and giving these guys the experience moving forward to see where they have what they have. Uh, I'll be fascinated. I don't think their first round pick is in play, but I could see them adding on the periphery of their roster. Uh, we spoke with Dave Haxtall when he was through here. Uh, he loves the composition of their team. They, you know, they don't do a lot of things great, but they do a lot of things really well, and they're super competitive. So they're another team that hasn't had great goaltending, but Grubauer has been better, I think, coming out of the break. We'll see what happens there. I don't expect them to be super active, but I could see Ron Francis kind of coming through with a stealth move for somebody who has some term um, going into Friday's deadline. 
Well, I'm going to tell you this. I actually think that the Seattle uh, Kraken uh, and GM Ron Francis, I think they're, I th- expect maybe behind the scenes for them to be a little bit of a thorn in the side of the Winnipeg Jets because I think that these two teams are going and looking for the exact same thing. Right. I think Seattle is thinking, you know what, this we love our year. We love where we are. We love the, love the fact that we're probably going to go into the playoffs uh, this year. That's all great, but we don't really think that we're contending for the Stanley Cup this year, so we're going to kind of hold on to our assets unless – they can go out and do what the Jets, we both think the Jets are going to try and do and make a move that is going to make them better, not just this year, but for a number of years to come. So I think that if you go out there, there may be certain teams that if Kevin Sheveldayoff is calling up and saying, hey, is this guy available? They're saying, yeah, I think that there maybe have been some phone calls behind the scenes from maybe Ron Francis saying, hey, if you're thinking of moving certain guys like that, don't leave me out of this. I'll give you some competition for those guys because we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to take players off your roster that don't fit there anymore, that we don't have to give up a lot of assets, but we'll help you take that money off the books if it's going to make our team better down the stretch. So, I mean, I don't know. I think about them and the message that that would send. Uh, I just think that uh, I think Seattle is showing that they are a team that is not in it for this season, but, they, they like to run, and if they can help, it's going to be help that helps not this year going forward exactly like the Winnipeg Jets, just to back things up there. Uh, I go back to the idea that I think that quietly, uh, because it has seemed kind of quiet, that deal that L.A. made to get Gavrikov and Corpusalo is the best move that we've seen in the Western Conference so far, and I think that the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights went out and got quick says exactly that. This is a team that the Vegas Golden Knights are worried they are going to be playing and they're already trying to play mind games or maybe grab a guy that could give them an edge in a series against that team. I don't think they go and pick up Jonathan Quick thinking about the Edmonton Oilers or the Seattle crack. And I think that they are specifically looking at LA and that tells you something. A very, very good Vegas Golden Knights team is taking a look at the LA Kings. And I personally think they're saying, wow, that team just got way more dangerous because of that move. Uh, that's my take. What's what do you got? Do you, do you think that means it's more or less likely that Logan Thompson returns to be the playoff starter? Like, is this just a mind game or are they, do they think that he can be their number one guy down the stretch here rather than Aiden Hill or Lauren Broussois, who, who I think just got hurt again? I think they want to open. I don't think he's their guy. I think they want to open up the option that if okay. they get in a series against LA, and their goaltending, because that's a, their their goaltending is no doubt a question mark, right? And so the interesting part about this is the LA Kings look like they've very much taken their goaltending situation, which was maybe the ultimate question mark of any team in the league outside of, and I shouldn't even say outside of, like you take a look at the situation in, in Edmonton and in Toronto with their goaltending situation, which are question marks. But the, that was the ultimate question mark. I don't even think it was a question mark. I think there was an expectation that the Kings goaltending was not good enough and was going to cost them when they got into the playoffs. They've removed that now. Uh, and so I think what's happened here is I think Vegas is just trying to add an option here in this situation that if they get into a series against the LA Kings and their goaltending lets them down, that they could, that's a, a last ditch attempt for them to say, let's throw this guy in and see if he's motivated and couldn't go in and steal something and maybe even get in the heads of the opposition. We heard the stories, right? Ken, when Jonathan quick got traded, there were tears yep. on the plane. 
right? Like this team was very upset about this. I see this as being an ultimate mind game and a chip uh, that even if he doesn't play, just seeing him on the other team's bench, maybe in a backup role, is something that they're going to try and mess with the heads of the LA Kings. The fact, though, I mean, you want to see if a team is concerned about an other team, take a look at the moves they made. They're designed specifically for addressing that other team. So take a look at everything that the Toronto Maple Leafs have done. All those moves are made for one thing and one thing only, taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. And after they made that, those moves, the Tampa Bay Lightning going out and getting Janot, that is made specifically for that first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs. These are GMs that are looking specifically at one team and saying, how do we get past that team, right? Well, it's not as big of a swing, but a very, very good team in the Vegas Golden Knights is making moves specifically to address the LA Kings. That means that team is a team of concern. Uh, I, I, th- I think that LA is very dangerous now that they have goaltending. Yeah, they're interesting. I mean, I love the way what Todd McClellan has done with this group. And uh, one other thing too, about that whole thing. And Don Sweeney just said, hold my beer. You guys can beat your brains in. And you know what? I'm going to go out and get a couple other blunt force trauma weapons for when we play either one of your teams in the second round in Hathaway and now Tyler Bertuzzi. So uh, I love the fact that, I mean, we understand that the Jets are not in all in territory anymore, but we, we know what all-in looks like. Toronto is what it looks like. Uh, at Boston, yes. that's what it looks like. So uh, the Jets, I don't think they need to be all-in tomorrow, but they need to be in. They need to be in on something. And if they're not in on it, then I think there's going to be a lot of disappointment. Um, I'll just say this one last time. Uh, Daniel Sinclair says not 100% sure, but didn't Helly say he wanted no part of a rebuild? If so, we are sellers next year. Could be some dark days. I'll say this. I think one way or another, the Winnipeg Jets, with losing some of their core, are headed to some kind of rebuild, regardless of what happens. I think dark days, when you're saying dark days, uh, I'm a guy who doesn't mind a good rebuild. Like if a team goes and approaches things properly and brings in young players that people can get like truly invested in, I like watching young teams on the rise. I don't need a team that's contending every year for a Stanley Cup. I want to see some excitement. I want to see some growth. If you want like, like that idea, think back to what it was like to see Kyle Connor emerge and and uh, Patrick Laine emerge and players like that, Josh Morrissey, Nick Ehlers. Like that's fun. It's fun to watch that happen. I think dark days, when you're thinking of dark days, you're looking back to like the mid-2000s Oilers. You're taking a look at what we've seen from a team like the Buffalo Sabres. I think an all-in Winnipeg Jets team that would have sent a bunch of future assets out the window to go all-in on this core right now, and then that core potentially leaving either this summer or after next season, that is dark days. But at least if you're the Winnipeg Jets and you take the approach that you're taking right now where you're not giving up the future, where you're trying to span the potential loss of that core with players like Nino Niederreiter or maybe they go out and get a Colton Pareko like that, then you still have the likes of Josh Morrissey. You still have the likes of of, uh, Nick Ehlers and Kyle Connor so that you've got some pieces to carry you through. But if you're able to then, if like let's say in the offseason – Connor Hellebuck makes it clear that he's going to walk. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think, has already made it clear he's going to walk. Let's say Shifley does that. If you move those players for assets and get that base that I was just talking about along with some exciting young prospects coming up 
A, I think you avoid dark days. I'm not saying you make the playoffs, but to me, dark days are you are lost in the woods and you don't know how to get out. I think that this is a conscious, if you make a conscious rebuild like that, you avoid the dark days and you have some excitement, some players that teams uh, that fans can get invested in. That's the way, that's what I think is happening with Kevin Shevel day off right now. Again, I'm going to end this show the way I started. I think that they have thrown the towel in on the idea of going all in. I think they're still trying to help their team. People could call that half measures, but if those half measures bring in assets that they carry into the future, I honestly think it's wise. Uh, The one thing that I think should be avoided at all cost are the dark days that they're talking about. And I think that the only way that happens is if the jets go all in and then lose their core in the process while sending away their future. Can you have any last thoughts? I should have mentioned the Rangers. The Rangers also all in on this season, which I've loved the moves that Chris Drury has made. And here's the other part about the importance of uh, sometimes moving that first. So what were we saying? Well, the Jets made a smart trade with with Chris Drury last year. It resulted in a first, you know, two conditional seconds that one of them became a first when the Rangers made to the conference final. The Rangers made the conference final is the point. Andrew Kopp did not re-sign with them. But at this deadline again, Sean... Chris Jury has gone out and got Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. So nobody's out here saying that you can't spend assets when you're in your window. So uh, again, I'm not saying the Jets should trade two first tomorrow, but they should be active. Okay. Um, hey, I just wanted to say uh, it was good to get back to doing Thursday the shows are show. fun, aren't they? Uh, well, sorry, hey, you're you're hinting at something that I <laughs> one day I'd like to get back to that. I love these pop up shows. I love the ability to be kind of fast and think on our feet. The one thing that I always worry about when I clicked uh, live broadcast on this, there were about 60 people in the chat room. I was a little worried about how it would turn out over 400 people for a good chunk of this show live. We uh, really appreciate that. Uh Let's be honest, Sammy the Scarf was here. People were always going to show up for that. Um, I want to thank Elliot Friedman either way uh, for him putting in the consideration to try and make it. As you see, trades are breaking the entire time we're on this show. He's the best in the business at it, so he needs to keep his full eye on that. So thank you for the consideration, Elliot. Thank you, Sammy, for the time. We can't wait to see you. Thank you, Ken, as always, for your thoughts. Uh, Always well thought out, always well reasoned. And thank you, chat, for absolutely bringing it. You had great comments. But just the fact that you're all there and showing up on a Thursday afternoon for us, it means the world to us. Thank you so much. We will talk to you uh, after the trade deadline is over uh, when the Winnipeg Jets play the Edmonton Oilers on Friday night. We will see you then. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield. Cambrian Credit Union. Lou Ferlin. Trans-Canada Brewing, Vittorio Rossi, and Johnston Group.